Uh, now, I text here, Clarky, I went to No Names, Erskineville last Erskineville, weekend. yes, yes. To the Erskineville the Bowling Club, which yes. is No Names. Yeah, there we go. So there we go. Yeah, as good as it gets. Oh. I haven't been for a long time, but uh, we used to, I don't know why, Philip, my cousin... Um, before he passed, he used to take me on Tuesday night. So it might have been like, do you remember Pizza Hut used to have... All you can eat. All you can oh, eat on Tuesday absolutely. night. There must have been a discount at no right. names on a Tuesday mm. night. Because we used to go Tuesdays after he'd, he'd play footy or train go footy training. Um, Dad used to coach him. He played for um, for mascot. And then we would go... Go and eat until you couldn't stand and up. And then it was literally eat until you spew theory. <laughs> you could not walk out of there, so... Didn't need brekkie the next day before school, put it that way. Uh, so we we're talking before about Ian Chappell's comments about uh, the Aussie team for the first test. And so he's telling this is uh, some of his quotes to Wide World of Sports. Uh, he says, this is bull crap about, oh, we've got to pick a right arm and a left arm spin bowler. It's crap, he says, Chappell. You pick your best bowlers. This business of picking Agar because he can bat a bit. You don't pick bowlers because they can bat a bit. You pick bowlers because they can take wickets. He goes, uh, he thinks there's too many theories on selection. In my opinion, Chapel says to Wide World of Sports, if you pick the best players, one of the reasons why they're your best players are because they're your smartest players. And, and he goes on to say, particularly about, well, Agar. And, oh, I mean, Ashton Agar, you know, we love him as a cricketer. The reality is he averages 42 in first-class cricket. He's not a wicket-taker pup. Oh, with the ball. With the ball. With the ball. With the no, ball. no, I'm talking with the ball. Yeah, but he does his bowling in Australia as well. Very different to bowl. Look, look, I agree with chaps in regards to you're not picking your second spinner based on their batting. You're not picking a fast bowler or your third quick based on his batting. No, no, you've got a job. That's why bowlers are bowlers, batters are batters. The batters make the runs, the bowlers take the wickets. And then if you make, if you get part-time runs, uh, part-time wickets from your batters, awesome. If you get... Extra runs from your tail enders, awesome. But they've got to do. You got to do your number one job, good enough to make the team. Your number two job is a bonus, uh, and you hope everyone can field. Um, Ashton Agar, I do think he can play a role in India, though, definitely, because conditions are very different. I don't think you can judge his record in Australia. You look at, well, can you show me what Jadeja's record is in Australia versus what it is in India? I think that is. It's, they're not the same, but I think you can compare that. That'll give us a good indication as to how different it is to bowl in Australia. You know, I don't think Ashton Agar's... Uh, he's, not, he's not Shane Warne. He's not Nathan Lyon. Like, he's a different type of bowler. He's quite fast. That's why he's been better in the short form. Fast, accurate, into the wicket. But if there's some natural variation off the pitch, some spin, some extra bounce... That's where I think he can play a big role. So Jadeja has been a genius in India, and he's very experienced. Agar hasn't got the experience in Test cricket, but I think he could play a very handy role in the subcontinent uh, as our second spinner. And it's a bonus that he can bat. So, I, But I do agree with Chaps there. You're not picking Ashton Agar as your second spinner just because he's a better batter than Swepson, for example. If he's not the best choice as a second spinner, then you go with Swepson, um, and the batting's a bonus. So... Yeah, he, uh, I think he makes. I think Chaps makes fair points there. Uh, Jadeja's <laughs> he's played well in Australia. What's his record he's in Australia? Got, uh, he's played four tests, taken fourteen wickets, he's, twenty-one point seven eight. He's only played four tests in yeah, Australia. Only, only four tests in Australia. Really? Mm. So they've they're gone Ashwin majority of the time. Okay, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, in their quicks, I suppose. In their quicks, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's. I thought he would have played more than that. Um, but yeah, and those num- well, those numbers in the four tests are very good. Mm. But that's I, I would be I wouldn't be looking at Ashton Agard's record in Australia and comparing that to what he's about to face in India. I think it, it's a completely different role. But I don't think Ashton Agar is a good enough batter to be our legitimate all rounder to be Cameron Green. I don't think he can bat six, no. and I think there's too much risk even batting Kerry at six, Agar at seven. I think you need a legitimate. See, that's I'm. I'm just thinking off the top of my head here because I can't think of all the all-rounders in first-class cricket at the moment. So I'm sure I'm going to miss people out. But the one that that I'm thinking about now because I know he's playing T20 cricket in the UAE or in South Africa is Marcus Stoinis. Stoinis' bowling is good enough and batting is good enough to be a genuine number six. I'm I'm surprised why we didn't take him as a backup for Cameron Green knowing that Cameron Green had busted finger. Because I think if you've got Stoinis at number six, for example, that gives us good options with two quicks, two spinners, and then Stoinis to bowl you some overs. So what's Stoinis' first-class record? Uh, yeah, he's playing over in the Dubai, Dubai T20 at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Uh, Stoinis, so from 61 first-class matches, averages 33 with the bat and averages 40 with the ball. Yeah, okay. So it's still not still not great. But, you know, Mitchell Marsh, another one. I know Mitch is injured at the moment. He's hoping to be fit for the one-day part. But I'm sure there's plenty of all-rounders going around domestic cricket. All-rounders, I mean medium pace all-rounders. Guys that can bat at six, good enough batting to bat at six, but can bowl you those handy overs to allow Australia to play two quicks, two spinners, and have your all-rounder. A bit like Shane Watson did for us at times as well. So... But yeah, they they don't have that in the eighteen man squad that they picked, so that's why I think a lot of the past players. Um, I heard Mark War. We spoke to Stewie Clark yesterday. We've heard Chaps's comments. I think a lot of us are interested to see what is Australia going to do. Are they just going to go for legitimate bowlers, whether that be three quicks and Nathan Lyon or two quicks and two spinners? Um, do they play Cameron Green just as a batter at number six? Can Cameron Green bowl? Five overs, ten overs in a test, who knows? But it, sh- it does show the importance of Cameron Green in this Australian team. Uh, Loz, just Mitch from Robertson texts in. Uh, we're about to do a Bulldogs preview, season preview shortly, just this first. Heard Peter Sterling say that before every game, he would go for a 30-minute jog. I need the ice bath before the game, says Mitch. Is that true? <laughs> Sterlo, 30-minute jog, ever heard that know, one? Mate. No, I, I haven't heard that one before. Uh, I'd be buggered if I went for a... Uh, 30-minute jog before a game. Um, I used to like going for a bit of a walk, have a bit of a stretch. Uh, yeah, 30-minute jog, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's heavy. Bug it. Yeah, you would be. <laughs> no, I haven't heard that one, Mitch. Uh, but Sterlow, one of the greats. I hope he's enjoying I miss Sterl- in the, I miss Sterlow in commentary. Retirement. I, I miss Sterlow's... Co- I, I don't thought Sterlow would be missing it. No, I'm sure. Himself. I thought he was brilliant, Sterlow. Oh, I thought just listening to him talk about the game... Yeah. And and obviously he was on nine for such a long period of time. Yeah. I, I I miss him around footy. Yeah, I think you know that commentary team of Rabs, Sturlow, um, Gus, Gus and Fatty. Yeah, Fatty as well. Yeah, yeah. I saw Fatty's just moved to the Gold Coast. Yeah, Fatty's been up there for a while. Oh, has he? Yeah, he's been up there for a while. I didn't know he's, that. Yeah, no, he's been up there and um, lives up there. He does a lot of the nine games in Brisbane. In Brisbane, okay. Yeah, so they get him to do a lot of Broncos games, Gold Coast games, and obviously now the Dolphins. I didn't know he was living in the Gold Coast. There you go. Uh, Just to clear a couple of things up on the text line, I think, Loz, you were thinking of Aaron Hardy. 
Yeah. Uh, text here from Dan. Aaron Hardy is an option. Bowls yep. 135 to 140 Ks and a healthy average with the bat scored a shield 100 in the final last season, yep. says Dan. Is that who you meant, Loss? That's who I was thinking of, yes. No he could even bat seven and you could bat Kerry at six. Mm. You could do that. He's, he's good. Again, talent. I haven't seen yeah. enough of him in the red ball yep. uh, form of the game, but certainly with the white ball, he's always putting his hand up for yep. the Perth team. Uh, now, we're... I think Mitch is going on about Sturlow running half half an hour before a game. He says, was on a podcast with James Graham. He also said that he was caught playing p- competitive games of touch footy the morning before the game. Uh, Jack Gibson put a stop to that, uh, says Mitch from Robertson. Yeah, they used to put a stop to us playing uh, local touch footy comps and, and uh, Oztag, but Oztag was sort of later in my career. But the early years where I was at the Raiders, we played touch on a like a... No, it must have been a Wednesday. It was either a Wednesday or a, or a Monday mm. night. It was a day off training, but you'd be there playing touch when you were younger. And they'd say, mate, no, you can't do that. Calm down. <laughs> a day off is there for a reason. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Uh, here we go. The People's Publican at Queanbeyan. The Raiders used to stop at the Mittagong RSL on their way to away games. As soon as they got to the Camperdown Travel Lodge, the players would go to bed as it was usually night time, except the great Jicker Ferguson was allowed to have a few beers with staff at the Travel Lodge bar before going to bed, says the People's Publican. And that would have been right because Chicka would have been having a few beers with the People's Publican's father, Bobby. <laughs> the bus driver. The bus driver, the masseuse. The masseuse. Oh, mate, Unreal. The one-stop shop. Yeah. There, there used to be a pub. So you'd walk out of the uh, Camperdown Hotel and you'd turn left at the lights onto Parramatta Road and you'd walk probably 30 metres down the road and across the road was a pub. So that's where the staff used to always go. They'd go and have a few beers over there. <laughs> Chicky used to go with them. And we'd head off in the other direction down to Glebe and we'd go to, might have been the Four in Hand. Would that be right? Four, uh, in, four hand? in Hand's in Paddo. Is that a Paddo, is it? Yeah. Oh, well, there's an, um, another one. Anyway, the, whatever the no-names, yeah, whatever there, the right? no-names uh, pub there was. And that's where we'd have our, have a our meal for Not the Not the Nags Head. Nags Head, that's it, I think. Yeah. Yes, that's the Owned one. By, well, the O'Hara's used to own that. Oh, right, yeah. No, Nags Head. I think yeah, uh, and Clarky, how good are our listeners? Hey, Clarky, it was no names at the Bath Arms Hotel at Burwood oh, where you too. used to go with Phil, your cousin, and Les. I know this because yeah. I went there a thousand times uh, <laughs> with Phil, a great mate of mine. Go to the West Magpie, says Scotty, sending yeah. that one through. There you go. Burwood, they used to live in Burwood. Okay, the Bulldogs for season 2023 and their gains and losses. They get Reed Marnie and Hayes Perham from Parramatta. Viliami Kikau from Penrith, Ryan Sutton from the Raiders, Andrew Davey from Manly, and Josh Reynolds from Hull FC amongst their gains, their losses. Uh, Jeremy Marshall King's gone to the Dolphins, Jack Hetherington to Newcastle, Paul Vaughan over to the Super League to Warrington, uh, Aaron Shop and Joe Stimson are off to the Gold Coast Titans, uh, Corey Allen. has gone to the Roosters, Brandon Wakeham to the Wests Tigers, and Josh Jackson has retired. Their odds with Tab for the season, well, they're $21 to win the grand final and they're $2.10 to make the top eight. For the extra optimistic, you can get $5 for them to make the top four. In the most losses market, much longer than they were this time last season, they're $26 to finish down the bottom of the table. So, so much optimism there at Belmore Laws after the recruits They've snared uh, very much a new era 
when you look at this squad compared to what it was 12 months ago? What do you think, though, of their realistic chances of contending? Well, certainly for making the top eight, because that's the bet I'm looking at. $2.10 for them to slip into the top eight, I think I might be taking something off. When yeah, I, I, I'm the same. Proper. I think the top eight is a realistic goal for the Bulldogs this season. Obviously, they've got massive hype surrounding them because of the addition of the new coach, Cameron Serraldo, coming from Penrith, and, of course, a couple of high-profile players. Uh, so they're an intriguing team, a team that I think is capable of playing finals this year. They'll have a, a better season than what they've had the last couple. The question mark for me over the Bulldogs is still their spine. You know, I, I always think that you need, you know, you know you've got four in your spine. I think you, you need three of really strong quality to be playing finals football. They've got Burton and Reed Marnie, and they're two exceptional players. Then there's a question mark over who the halfback will be for the Bulldogs. And there has been some talk about they're unsure at fullback, but we believe that Hayes, I think it's Hayes Pernham, is uh, from Parramatta, uh, will be the likely fullback for them. So there's still question marks on their fullback and seven. So that's a worry. But when you look at their depth in the forwards, they've recruited kick out. Uh, Max King is an underrated player. Yeah, Ryan player. Sutton is a very good player from the Raiders. Uh, Thompson, we haven't seen the best of him, but what, what we've seen from him is in a better team, I, th- I think he'll go better. I, I, I think with better players around him, I think that this Luke Thompson can take this Bulldogs team forward. Um, I think they've got a bit of depth this season. Look, there's massive wraps on this young halfback they've signed from the Broncos. So I think he's only 18 years of age. Um, he possibly could force his way into this team if the raps are right. This is uh, Carl Alopu. Alopu, mm. yeah. Um, so, uh, but there's, there's that question mark over the Bulldogs for mine, just in, with their spine. Uh, Matt Burton, you'd think that he'll be a lot better player for um, going away on that kangaroo tour, watching how um, the senior players prepare for test matches, uh, knowing what's required to take your game to the next level. Um, Josh Adokar started the season off slow last year, but then found his form towards the back end of the season or halfway through the year and was exceptional and was exceptional on the, the Kangaroo Tour um, last year. So I, I think there's exciting times ahead for the Bulldogs. I think they've recruited as well as anyone in this off-season. Um, if you're a doggy supporter, you'd be very optimistic about your chances of playing finals football this year I don't think they can win the competition I don't think they'll finish top four but I can see a massive improvement the big wild card is he was the most hunted coach in the game and uh, hasn't well he stood in a couple of times hasn't he as a caretaker coach but Cameron Serraldo gets his big moment to run this club as coach and uh, early reports are at the dogs well the great Josh Reynolds tells us the players are absolutely loving him everyone the buy-in has been hundred percent. Well, the buy-in is always strong in your first year. Uh, it's when things go wrong, that's when things can unravel pretty quickly. And that's when you've got to be able to hold the ship together and keep the team on track. Uh, Cameron Serraldo hasn't had much adversity over the last couple of years with Penrith because they've been such a, an outstanding team and they've won the majority of their games. So the challenge for Cameron will be if this team goes through a period of non-success where they're losing three or four in a row, how does he compose himself? How does he get the best out of this group? How does he build their confidence up to get them going again 
the following week. That's the big challenge for an assistant when he's never been in charge of his own team. And he's come from a successful system into a system that's evolving and developing. Um, so that'll be his biggest challenge. Uh, but he's, he'll be learning on those senior players like Burton, like Addo Carr, uh, like Reed Marnie, uh, to be able to rally the troops when they're going through that period where they're not winning games, confidence is low, and you've got to try and keep everyone up. Um, but I'm interested to see how they play, what style of footy they play. You, you know, you always hear teams talk about, this is our DNA, this is what we stand for. Well, the Dogs, when they were at their best, were tough, aggressive, played a challenging style of football. You know, they had the entertainers back in the 80s, uh, well, late 70s, early 80s, and then they went through this period under Warren Ryan where they were the dogs of war, where they just, you know, bashed teams. Um, and then they sort of, under Steve Folks, they had a combination of both. You know, they were very tough, very aggressive, but they also could use the ball. So I'm interested to see what we see, uh, what we see from the Bulldogs last year because I thought at times um, to start the season last year, they were very conservative. It was all about field position. It was all about controlling the set and all about just getting to your kick and trying to build pressure. And then they they relaxed when Mick Potter took over and they just played a style of football that looked as though it suited them. And it was a bit more ad-lib. But I'm unsure of whether the ad-lib stuff will come under Cameron Seraldo or whether it'll be sort of a similar style to what Penrith play. So I'm intrigued, I'm excited and full of hope for the Bulldog supporters this year. What did you make of uh, Kyle Flanagan overall last year, Loz? So he didn't get picked until round five in first grade and then ended up playing 20 games for the season. And you mentioned the sevens being a, an issue for them. Yeah. Uh, he's the man there. I think he's still got two years left on his current deal. Yeah, look, Kyle's a steady player. The, the problem is I, I don't think the Bulldogs have faith in him that he's their genuine number seven into the future. So they're... they're They've got Kyle in their team, but I don't think necessarily he'll start as the number seven this year. Um, so you've got a guy there that they're unsure of. Um, he's a steady player. Uh, he did the job last year, but I don't think he's the number seven that the Bulldogs are looking forward into the future with. I, I think if they could move Kyle Flanagan on, they would. But at the moment, they've got him on their books, they've recruited a couple of young halfbacks and it wouldn't surprise me at all if these young halves get an opportunity in the trials and start the season in first grade over young Kyle Flanagan. That's the Bulldogs for season 2023. By the way, stacks of text here. Loz, uh, Loz Friend in Hand Hotel had a no-names restaurant, says David Courageong. I think that's the pub in Glebe you're talking about, the Friend Where's in Hand. Where's the nag's head? That, that sounds... Uh, that's also in Glebe. Glebe, yeah. I, um, I can't, yeah, but, yeah, I can't remember which one, but it, they were great meals, I know that. And Jeff says, the pub that Laurie's looking for, Friend in, friend hand. in hand. And morning, gents, the no-names hotel in Glebe was the Friend in Hand. There was also the Shakespeare's Hotel, Devonshire Street, Surrey Hills. Know them too well, says Al. Uh, this morning, the delayed Pebble Beach Pro-Am wrapped up and the Englishman Justin Rose won by three shots, finished 18 under par for the tournament, closed with a six under 66 there on the beautiful Monterey Peninsula and uh, best of the Aussies in that tournament was Aaron Badley who finished five under and tied for 37th over there this morning.
Give us a call, 1353 53. Send us a text, 0419767272. Just repeating this massive story over in the UK. So the Premier League has charged Manchester City with more than 100 breaches of its financial rules after a four-year investigation. Now, the club is welcoming a review uh, now by an independent commission. It's going to be handed over to. So this is going to drag on and on and on. But uh, when this is all said and done, and if the independent commission um, holds up the ruling by the Premier League, then, uh, well, this could be... The consequences for Manchester City could be enormous, according to all the reports out of the UK. Even the possibility of them being expelled from the Premier League, which should be... Well, that would be a story, but uh, I think... Massive fines and being docked points is very much realistic, but uh, this could take quite some time for it to all be finalised. But uh, big, big story over there in the UK. Now, also uh, in the Premier League, Leeds. Leeds United struggling, 17th on the table. In fact, they're just out of the relegation zone on uh, goal difference. And their manager, Jesse Marsh, hasn't even lasted a year there in charge at Elland Road. And uh, he's sacked. So he's, and they've got a game, I think, tomorrow morning, our time. It might be Thursday morning, our time against Manchester United. Uh, massive, uh, well, there's no love between those two sets of fans, that's for sure. Leeds and Manchester United. What do you remember about playing at Ellen Road, Loz? Uh, loud. Mm-hmm. It was very loud at Ellen Road. Uh, wonderful atmosphere, as they all are over there in England. Um, lucky enough to play on some of the, the great fields. Um, in Europe, and uh, Ellen Road was one. Old Trafford was another. Wembley uh, was one of the great experiences. But the thing I love about playing over there is the, the fans. They they support their team differently, <laughs> you know. And and it's there's noise throughout a game. There's not ebb and flow of the noise, depending on where you are. They just chant, they sing, and it just goes for the whole eighty minutes. And they, it, it just feels like they're on top of you. Um, but Ellen Road, yeah, very, very good ground. Uh, just some uh, news at the Tigers. Uh, the Telegraph reporting today, the club has offered a one-year extension for Adam Dewey. Uh, now, he's off contract this year. I just wonder if the club, Loz, might be having an each-way bet pending the outcome of whether they get Mitch Moses or not. Well, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? Um, because Mitch Moses is off contract, still hasn't committed to Parramatta at this stage. He's got a great association with Luke Brooks and Luke would be trying to get him across to the club uh, Brooks is off contract as well uh, so they've got three players that they could possibly sign but how do you fit all three into that team um, whether you're looking at playing uh, Dewey as a centre or do you, do you look at playing him as a, as a fullback, do you look at playing him in another position because as it stands if you've got Brook and, Brooks and uh, Moses to your club more than likely there, you're seven and six. So you've got to find another position for Adam Dewey. And Adam Dewey's in a position um, that that he's possibly their leader this year. Um, so interesting that they're only prepared to offer him a one-year deal because I thought Adam Dewey would be someone they could mm. sign for a long period of time and uh, help establish some continuity there in the halves. Time to talk some, well, some sales and some horses because Inglis made an announcement yesterday that they're introducing $5 billion worth of bonuses for eligible horses who win their maiden. 
Uh, great initiative, and joining us is the Chief Executive of English Bloodstock, friend of the show, Sebastian Hutch. Sebastian, good morning to you. Morning, gents. I thought we're trying to sell horses and stress all the times. We're trying to manage the Tigers. This sounds like it's going to be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a nightmare for, what, about a decade? Yeah, for too long. Sebastian, can you just flesh out for us how this will work then with this bonus uh, offering? Oh, we have a big race series already. Um, $7.55 million worth of prize money to be won, but We've always wanted to look at ways in which we could create a situation with the race, situation with the race series where more people would win more often. And we've troubleshot a various or a series of various ideas, and none of them have quite worked out. And we stumbled across this idea where we're going to designate 50 maidens through the 2024-25 season. So uh, horses that are yearlings now, when they start their three-year-old season, we're going to attach a hundred thousand dollar bonus to each of those 50 maidens. And if those maidens are won, or if any of those maidens are won by horses, they're graduates of an English sale and they're paid up for the race series, they'll get a $100,000 bonus. So, you know, we we looked fairly closely at the program of maidens, primarily across New South Wales and Victoria, and calculated the average winning prize money is about, I think, just short of 21 grand. So by adding a 100000 bonus for the winner, should there be in this graduate, should be a massive boost to the winner of any of those races. Okay, so you mentioned, so most of these maidens will be in New South Wales, Victoria, correct? Yeah, that's the plan, yeah. I mean, obviously the program for the 24-25 season hasn't been written yet. But, you know, we formulated our calculations off the basis of recent programs and, you know, we, we want to try and spread the maidens out so that effectively it works out of being one a week. So every week of the year, there'll be an opportunity to win significant English prize money. And you know, certainly our calculations lead us to believe that there'll be a lot of people winning a lot of English prize money over, over and, the course of the next few seasons. And Sebastian, so these races, though, they won't be just restricted to English sold horses. It's just that you need to obviously be in a, a horse sold through an English sale to be eligible for the bonus. Yeah, they're, they're standard open maidens. I mean, we'll identify a variety of maidens you know, country, provincial, metro maidens. Uh, the distances of the races will be consistent with the race program, generally speaking. Uh, we're going to try and spread them around across a variety of tracks to try and engage as many people as we can. And, you know, hopefully um, hopefully it works out well. I mean, certainly the feedback has been really positive to this point. You must be excited about the Millennium, how it's shaping up for Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's going to be by far the best renewal of the race. I mean, we've had some good renewals, but the strength and depth this year um, is unprecedented in the short history of the race. We've been a bit unlucky with the race and that, you know, it just got up and going and then we had a couple of years of the pandemic where maybe the momentum had stalled a little bit. But, you know, we've got horses that are high up in the rankings. So Slipper, I know the barrier draw this morning will be something that'll be closely scrutinised because obviously there are a number of horses in the race trying to get towards a slipper uh, and other feature races, but it looks like we're going to have a full field, a really strong field, good competition for the $400,000 pink bonus. And you know, hopefully we get um, hopefully we get a good clear week in terms of weather and everybody's racing on a good track on Saturday. And a great little prelude on Saturday on the track for the classic style starting on Sunday there at the Riverside Stables. Uh, and uh, this is the first opportunity, of course, for people to buy through an English sale and be eligible for those $100,000 bonus maidens from 
uh, the racing season of 2024-25. So what are the highlights of this classic sale, Sebastian? Well, one of the highlights is we think Jared Middleton, Michael Clark and Laurie Daly are going to be able to buy the winner of a horse or buy a horse's <laughs> table of winning a $100,000 bonus. And we thought they might not be able to buy the winner of the Millennium or the English Sprint or any of these other races, but they could surely buy a maiden winner between the three of them. So um, we're hoping, hoping that we might be able to find you a maiden winner. I was there, one of the one of the more exciting things with any of these sales is seeing the yearlings of the younger stallions. You know, there's a very strong group of young stallions with first yearlings at the sale. Some horses from Europe, like Two Darn Hot and Blue Point. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Obviously, Everest winner and a track record holder at Randwick. He's his first yearlings. Uh, right across the board, there's some interesting horses. And, you know, I think the thing that's exciting about this sale is that it's traditionally been a sale where people can find really good value. You know, come to a sale and buy a good horse for not a lot of money and expecting that to be the case again on Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. I see you've signed a great friend of the show, Vonnie Sampson, up as your English Pink bonus ambassador. How good? Yeah, she's fantastic. She's yeah. great. Got to, know, got to know Vonnie over the last year and opportunity presented itself for her to be a little bit more involved in what we're doing. You know, the Pink Bonus is an important initiative that we instituted last year, you know, giving away a million dollars to... Uh, horses that are 75% female-owned. You know, we're foregoing for a $400,000 bonus in the millennium. We've already had pink bonuses go off in the banner and the nursery. Uh, but the bonus in the millennium is the, is the biggest bonus. Bonnie will be with us um, at the races on Saturday. And, you know, even if um, even if the eligible horse doesn't win the race itself, there's going to be a big payday for someone, and Bonnie's going to be a big part of that, so it's great. Loz, you were bagging, Sebastian, because it wasn't you. Yeah, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Fair. funny you did enter the conversation, but just—I <laughs> I don't, I don't want to make it sound bad by saying that you were second choice because you were a bit further down the list than that. But you did enter the conversation. I knew I would have. I knew I would have. I, I said to the boys, "Look, I'm sure I was high up on the list." <laughs> Sebastian, we've got a question on the text line here. Is it? Uh, this is a, a question in relation to the. Uh, to the bonuses, of course. Is it applicable to horses through the online digital English sales? Yeah, yeah. So yearlings that got that sell through the platform um, from this crop will be eligible. They just have to be paid up for the race series. So, okay, so uh, there'll be, be some, there'll be the some, there'll, yeah. yeah, there'll be some yearlings that have been sold already that will be eligible to be nominated by the 31st of July. All that information is on the website. So if people go, people go to english.com.au, they'll find all the details. Sounds good, mate. Big couple of weeks ahead for you. Well, certainly a big week with uh, the English Millennium all up the classic sale. Hope it's a great day Saturday and uh, a great sale for you as well. Thanks, gents. Look forward to a good few days. Really appreciate it. The Big Sports Breakfast Lunch, Friday, February 24, barely over, what, two and a half weeks away. And it's at the ATC, the new wink stand there at Royal Randwick. There'll be sporting and racing royalty there. And just go to the ATC's website uh, for your tickets. AustralianTurfClub.com.au. AustralianTurfClub.com.au. You've got the races the next day. I think it's Tab Chipping Norton Day at Randwick as well. So you can really turn that into some weekend. Just stay at the course. Stay on the course. <laughs> Take a swag. Away day you nighter. Go. Well, you poss- oh, well... Sounds yeah. like picnic races. Sounds like it, doesn't it? Mm. <laughs> Take the ute, pull up. <laughs> Gosh. I remember going to come by chance picnics and some of the sights you see the following morning. <sighs> what time's kickoff on the 24th? Uh, that'll midday. be about midday. Midday. Pup. Right here. Mm.
I'll be ready. When's your first drink? Ten to midday. We'll probably have to get there a little bit early, won't we? So mm. I'll probably crack one at eleven thirty, probably. I would imagine. I've never been in the wink stand. No, me either. No, I'm, I'll be to. on debut as well. Mm. Well, you haven't been either. No. Man of the people. Boys like said it was good. The boys, the boys bragged about it the other night. They had the Alan yeah. Porter medal there. Oh, oh, do they, they still call it the Alan, the Alan? They call it the Cricket Australia uh, Awards. Yeah, yeah. AB medal. Yeah. Both. Yeah, they said it was. Um, they said it was unreal. So yeah, look forward to it. Bring it on. Coming up two and a half weeks away. Adam Pengilly, good morning. How have you boys not been to the Winston yet? Yeah, well, I haven't no. been to the races that much in the last few months. You've just got your spot in the Channel 7 little studio there, Jared. don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very, that's a very good point. Once. Very good point. A couple yeah, of times that me and Loz have been together, we haven't seen Mido. He just gives yeah. us nothing. Doesn't even come say hi. Yeah. Loz could have been down there. So, you know, they, 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 had the, um, they had the Dally M's there last year. Yeah. Did you get uh, a gig or not? No, I didn't go. I didn't go. No. Okay. No. Well, well that, it's that, just that, too that, hard to go to the Dally M's when you're walk, uh, working radio. Yeah. radio. Mm. No, they had the Dally M's there last year. It was, a, it was a great night. So, obviously, it's, it's sort of a new go-to, I suppose, sporting awards venue. You've got the Allen Border Medal and the Dally M's there. It's, um, yeah, it's a good venue. The Apollo Stakes is going to be a go-to race on Saturday by the looks of the nominations. Yeah, fantastic uh, set of nominations there, Jared, yesterday. And very much keen to seeing the big boy Animo back in back in action in the Apollo Stakes. And uh, I'd imagine he'd be pretty wound up. He's obviously opened up extremely short with the tab, which you thought that'd probably be the case, given his record. And I tell you what, he's got a this campaign coming up can, I suppose, define his legacy, really. I can't imagine him racing on as a five. I think it's pretty much set in stone. He'll head to start in the spring later this year. But considering what's in front of him in the next few runs here in Sydney, more than likely heading towards the Queen of the States and then going overseas potentially to the Northern Hemisphere and maybe Royal Ascot. Um, there is some really, really big fish to fry for Godolphin. So we saw what he did last spring. He was very much wound up to win that wing stakes there first up. And I imagine James having a pretty similar level. And we saw with Aft Cabin last week in the Eskimo Prince, he didn't leave any chance there. And that horse I thought might have been a little bit vulnerable. was far too good for his opposition. So I'd imagine Animo will have similar levels of fitness after a couple of barrier trials, and I'm uh, very keen to see him back at the races. The one horse I, I just want to give a quick mention to is El Bodegon. Um, this horse from the Chris Waller Yard, who was virtually a flying prospect to the Cox Plate last spring. He ran really well, and I know he's only a small little thing and taking his time to adapt to Australian racing, but very keen to see what he can do and maybe emerge as one of these horses we can call one of our weight for age stars in the next 12 to 18 months. Do you think he'll run, or will he go to Melbourne? Uh, good question, Loz. I'm not sure, because... Chris Waller's got a, a couple of different nominations down there for the All Stakes as well, which is taking up with a really good race too. Mm-hmm. So it's just that time of year, isn't it? We've got a couple of 1,400-metre weight for age races, both in Sydney and Melbourne on the same day. They're both Group 1. So it's just the program that we have, which is not great. But unfortunately, um, for punters, it's hard to work out. But Chris Waller's got the option, doesn't he? So he can he can wait and decide later in the week. I'm sure he'll have those, those figured out sort of by Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning. He'll have to anyway, because he's got some horses on the flight if heading to Melbourne. So... Yeah, we'll wait and see, but um, I'd imagine the your might be a, a better option trying to avoid Animo, but it could also be a deeper race too, so very keen to see how those two races stack up in the end. What happened to Adam Hieronymus at a barrier trial yesterday? Yes, horrible news was there yesterday. Late in the barrier trial session at Randwick, he had a fall off one of his horses and uh, injured his shoulder, had to go to hospital. And the news came through late last night that he's broken his collarbone, so for a guy who's trying to make his way back after that long suspension or long ban, Getting ready to return to race riding in the next couple of weeks, it's just horrible, horrible timing. So we wish, wish Adam all the best. He'll be off the scene, obviously, for a little while, try and get that mended and get it fixed. And let's hope we can see him race riding again because it's been a long time to wait to come back and uh, it's going to be another few weeks on top of that now. Plenty of big guns have been trialling. How has 
the Everest winner Giga Kick and also the Melbourne Cup winner Gold Trip gone. Yeah, a couple of really important barrow trials, Jared down at Cranbourne there yesterday. Giga Kick obviously trialed really nice. I think Clayton Douglas has made it fairly clear. We won't be seeing him in those sort of early season group one sprints down in Melbourne like the Lightning Stakes and Newmarket. They'll save him and try and get him ready for up here in Sydney later in the campaign, given he had a pretty taxing campaign last year. So I'd imagine probably see him up here in Sydney at some stage, heading towards the TJ Smith Stakes. And Gold Trip, I thought, trialed pretty well as well there yesterday. He had his first jump out, I think, might have been last week or the week before. And some people are saying he's a little bit flat, but he tried a lot better there yesterday. So he'll be getting ready for some of the big races. I'd imagine heading up to Sydney at some stage. Maybe Quinlan's maybe he heads towards the Sydney Cup of the genuine two mile. But good to see a couple of those. Like those headline horses back on the scene and getting ready for their campaigns this autumn. Yeah, some sad news for the racing industry and in particular up there on the north coast. Yeah, Lawrence, I didn't mention this last week in the program. We didn't get time and sort of come through the news or late on Friday. Bob Milligan, uh, the former trainer who was a legend of country racing for many, many years, has passed away. I uh, had the pleasure of spending a bit of time with Bob and his son Glenn up there on the on the mid north coast at Taria a few years ago when they had a had their really good horse, Tommy Baby, going around. And Bob had a horrible, horrible accident going back several years ago now when he was uh, hurt by a horse, which left him very close to death, unfortunately. He managed to survive that, but Glenn had to take over the running of the stables. And Racing New South Wales, to their credit, were extremely good, allowing all the horses to be still in Bob's name. And I know he got a huge kick out of seeing Tommy Baby do what she did in the last sort of 12 to 18 months of her career, obviously winning a stakes race, competing in a country championships final. So... I just want to send out condolences to Glenn and all the family because they'll be doing it tough up there at the moment. And uh, yeah, Bob has been an institution in country racing in New South Wales for many, many years. So he's lost to be felt all around the industry. Thank you, Adam. Have a good day. See you, boys.